Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. This guest is so fabulous. We've had her back for the second time. I know, how lucky are we? This is my friend, Crescent Dragon Wagon. Well, she's written so many books and I'm gonna let Crescent tell you about some of them because some of them have been in print for what? 30 years, Crescent, and they're, and I know, it's amazing. It's a, a, a really a lifetime career, but I wanted Crescent, thank you for coming back, to talk to us about Fearless Writing, which is her course, her trademark course. Hello, Crescent, how are you? Hello, Denise, I am, as we say in the Ozarks, I'm fine as frog's hair, and if you've ever... <laughs> If you've ever looked at a frog, you have to, their hair is so fine. You have to look really, really closely to see any of it. <laughs> I don't think I can have a conversation with you where you don't teach me something. I did not know that. Now, That's not the most significant thing that I might impart, but <laughs> it still works. It still works for me. Now, young lady, I happen to know that you see, I have never taken one of your courses. Um, Crescent, and I've meant to, but I've been able to see you, if not two, three times when you did two-hour seminars at IACP. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of the flavor of your writing courses, but I have had several friends of mine that have taken your writing courses and they can't say enough nice things about them. So now I know you're starting, you just, you've gone to Zoom. And isn't it once a week and you're having a new fearless writing course held right now in November? Yes, I am. Well, it will actually, it's 12 sessions over several months. And um, it's not quite once a week because there's holidays, oh, and because people need time to digest and practice and yeah. think, about, think about what they want to do with what they're using and learning and taking in and I limit these you know I I teach all kinds of writing related stuff and um, fearless writing fearless living which we talked about in our previous one um, but on this particular class I limit it to 15 people so it's a very small and intense and you know I mean, everybody says life-changing, life-changing, but people actually really do say about this. And a lot of people have gone on, uh, one of my students, Monica, Monica Clark Robinson, actually did a video for me this time, just off the cuff. She took Fearless twice, and she said the first time got her writing, and then 10 years passed. And she said, but everything I was writing somehow was staying on my computer. And I took it the second time, and I'm quoting her directly. She said, that second time was the secret sauce. And she has gone oh. on her first children's book, won a Coretta Scott King Award. And oh my God. And a, uh, 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 I think American Library Association best debut picture book. She has since had, she has two children's books out. Her second, her first one is called Let the Children March about the children's march that Martin Luther King led. And the second one is called Standing on Her Shoulders. And she has a third one coming out and she's finished two novels. Oh my and God. She, she did the work, but she credits me. I mean, essentially 
I teach people how to drive without the emergency brake on. Uh, now, perfect description. <laughs> And, and she was she was ready to go. She had she had the the tank was full of gas. She was ready to hit the accelerator, but instead of going, whoop, whoop, you know, as we do when the emergency brake is on, she just hit it. And so, you know, I love that story. And thank goodness for her success. How lovely for her. You know, Crescent, when you say that, and we're going to talk. I want to ask you, and if people are listening to this, uh, by the time this one's broadcast, there'll have been a sec, an earlier one done with Crescent, so you'll understand some more of her processes. I think Crescent, I know for me, and I'm just speaking for myself, I've been writing one or two of the books that are not published in my life. They're memoir, they're this, I don't know what they are. They're all sorts of things, they're a jigsaw puzzle. Then for a while I realized that they were intertwined Then they should be separate, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yep. now I talked to Natalie Dupree about this one day because she and I both have decided that we have planned procrastination periods in our life. <laughs> And I've decided now, but I needed to take, I've taken one or two uh, classes. I went to a class here in Ventura with a woman that was an editor for one of the big houses for years. I've done different parts of things, okay? I've done lots of different parts. And you know what? All of a sudden you realize that, yes, the tank is full and you can start writing again. So uh, how wonderful you're for your friend and how wonderful for you that you can see this in your own you know career that you've helped someone why do people need help writing crescent why i know you call it fearless writing and it it certainly spells spills over into fearless living but why are people afraid to sit down and write well writing storytelling narrative and narrative written down it is both the easiest and most natural part of being a human being, and at the same time, the most difficult. And let me say a few words about why that is before I, you know, I tend to circle around things a little bit before I hone in on it. <laughs> um, you know, without, everybody is born in the middle of the chapter. We come into life and we're of a certain ethnicity, a certain economic, class, we're of a certain nationality, there's certain things going on in our country, you know, it's pre-war, post-war, depression era, um, 60s, whatever it is. Um, you come in at a certain point and there's all this material that you don't know because the world has been going on a long time before you got here. So you try to figure it out when you're a kid and those attempts to figure it out, that, that is, um, narrative at place, at, at its heart, because um, you come in in the middle, you leave before it's finished. You never know how it's gonna come out. Hence the longing for satisfying narrative, which has a clear structure, beginning, middle, end. Unlike our lives, our lives would look like, and in fact be sheer chaos, without that beautiful big bowl of narrative to hold all the diverse ingredients in. And you can tell that you and I are both food people because of course that analogy is right, <laughs> is right up our alley. Um, so there is this deep desire, longing for narrative and 
sometimes we like to imbibe it through watching, you know, Netflix binging, going out to the theater, reading, 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 um, all of those things. But of course, we long to tell it as well. And so it is the most natural thing in the world to people. And indeed, as I said in your in your previous, in our previous discussion, people quote, write in their heads all the time. Thinking is essentially making narratives. You know, oh, I have to get to the store. The co-op closes at nine. Why did they close at nine? Mm, do I want to walk or do I want to take the car? Oh, they only have, you know, 8,000 steps and I want to get 10,000. You know, whatever thing it is, you're kind of continuously narrating your life to yourself. And with writing it down, it will never be, a, certainly on a first draft, it will never be as clear, cogent, and effortless as thinking, which thinking is really, you know, it's not exactly writing in your head. I mean, writing in your head to me is more like, I think, you know, that when I came into that store and they were obsessing about that kid that they thought took the $20 bill, I want to use that somewhere. Where? What could be the setup? For, that's a little more explicitly. Yes. But I do, I do believe that even people that aren't writers are continually writing in their head and that that longing is bred in the bone. It's inherent in being human because we have mortality. You know, animals, you know, they, they, when the cat wants to go out, the cat wants to go out. The cat is not saying, why is every door closed to me? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, the cat is not looking for meaning. The cat just wants to get out get out, get fed, whatever. Um, but human beings have this need for meaning that is increased by the fact that morality, the time, time is clicking, clicking by, the sands are running through the hourglass. So it's a very natural thing to, to want to tell stories, to need them and to carry them around in ourselves. And pretty much everybody has a story worth hearing if they learn how to tell it both either written, al said aloud, you know, we all know people that are great storytellers and people that are so boring, you don't want to sit next to them at a cocktail party. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, I love this, the Netflix, I think it's Netflix series, Dairy Girls. And there is one character in it who is hilarious, Uncle Column, I think his name is. And he can tell the most inter interesting thing that happened to him He's robbed at one point and two people break into his house and make it so boring. So the two, the two fellas at my house and, you know, the one was taller, but not that much taller, maybe an inch or two, you know, and he'll go on. He's robbed, but he can't, he's debating about the height. Of, so there are people that tell very boring stories verbally. But then when you get into writing, you would think it would be easy because after all, you're telling stories in your head all the time. Yes. And after all, we all know the alphabet. We all know how to write physically, not all of us, but those of us who are lucky enough to be literate. It should be easy, shouldn't it? It's not like music where you have to learn how to play the French horn. We all know the alphabet, right? It should be easy. Not so easy. Not because, so easy. Not so easy because you know, you, in essence, as I'm listening to you, I'm like a doctor hearing someone describe their symptoms. Um, you know, you mentioned several of the things. Should it be this or should it be that? There's two or three things that I've started that I haven't finished. We have planned procrastination. If you plan it, it's not procrastination. 
it's when you plan to write and you're busily doing something else, cleaning the freaking oven. Today is the day you have to strip the entire bed and do the. Yes, today is a day. Or, you know, I'm pretty sleepy. Maybe I should take a nap first. And I'm going to go sweep the garage. Yes, right. On my list every day. Yes. And so to go to your question about why people hold themselves back, you know, there, there are many answers, but one, the most profound one, I think, is that fear is inherent in the process. Otherwise, the vast majority of people that sat down to write would not find themselves sweeping the garage. Yes. And would not find themselves writing a sentence and thinking, oh, this is crap, and deleting yeah. it. Or if in the old days, you could always roll it, roll, I'm rubbing my hands together, you'd roll the piece of paper into a ball and toss it at, to the trash can. And if you missed it, you would stand up, walk away from your desk, pick it up, and put it in the trash can. And so essentially, I tell people at the beginning of fearless writing that I got them here under false pretenses. They thought that fearless writing would teach them how not to have fear when they write, but so sorry. Fear is inherent in the process. However, if you start to understand how the creative process works, you will stop taking the fear so personally, stop taking it as a failing and learn how to work with it and not be stopped by it. Fear is not the problem. The problem is being stopped by fear. And I mean, there are many iterations of the problem, one problem is being stopped by the fear. Number two is being stopped by the judgment that what you're writing is not very good. It's probably not very good in the first draft. Yes. Everything takes work, but it doesn't matter that it's not very good because you can always, if you write something and it's really not good, you can always edit it once it's there, right. but you can't edit a blank page. You can Ooh, edit a an, perfect you page. Oh, you can't edit a blank page. You cannot. Mm. And a lot of people, that's rather, a good rather than look at the fact that oh, this isn't very good, I can make it better, they say, oh, it's not good, I must not be a writer. That's and right. they toss, literally or metaphorically, if you're working online, they toss that start into the uh, wastebasket. And you know, if you think you have to have a perfect first sentence before you can write the second sentence, you will never write anything. You have to be willing to be imperfect and to give over to the process and to not be stopped by fear. And so basically, you know, my, my ability or gift is helping people get comfortable enough with the uncomfortable with the anxieties, the self-doubts, all that stuff, that they can get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable so that they can do the work. Because getting comfortable with what makes you anxious is the cost of the ticket to creativity, to entrepreneurship, to invention, to almost anything, is you have to, your desire to do it has to be bigger than the fear stopping it, but the fear will still be there. So I tell people, when you understand how it works, you do in fact fear less because 
you see it and you go, oh, I know you, I recognize you. Sit down, you can be in the passenger seat or the back seat, but I'm driving, I'm driving. You're not driving, thank you for your input. You're welcome to come along for the ride. <laughs> I know you're going to. But <laughs> and you know, people think that they, in my current Fearless that I'm teaching now, um, I have a couple of people who are well-known published writers. It's also a mixed level class. Why? Gotcha. Because this is inherent, it's inherent. And so I've got my guy that has written seven books, many of which have won awards. And um, he has his fears that he's carrying. And other people in the class are going, no, how can you have the, no, it's for me. I've never written anything or you Crescent. No, no, no. As, as the uh, deceased therapist, Richard Price once said, you always teach what you most need to learn. You are your own worst student. And oh. part of the reason I adore teaching this is because it's really true, but I never stop learning it. You know, as much as I know it, I have to underline it to myself and to my psyche. Otherwise, you know, and I set up goofy little things for myself. I have a separate writing studio. And when I go there to write, I have forbidden myself to do, to check Facebook, to order groceries online, to do anything until, and I set my timer, I have to start with 15 minutes of work on my memoir, no matter what, even if I'm just gonna be there for 45 minutes, you know, whatever it is, I will not touch the laptop until I have done that. So, you know, we set up these goofy little things for ourselves. But you know what, I think that, I think that's not as goofy as just being smart. It's like a outline. It's like anything that you do, you have to, I know for me, and I'm, I have to, I'm a habit creature. Do you know what I mean? Good or bad? Good mm -hmm. or bad? Now, if I drive to someplace, Crescent, and turn right the first time and it's the wrong way and go around in a circle, even with a navigator, I'll do it again like that. Okay. <laughs> Cindy knows. Good or bad? I'm a habit person. Yep. So for me recently, and what I've been doing and a couple of things is, like you saying, going to write a studio, I just make myself a note on my post-it that says, write for one hour today, or at least go through, open up the file and read the 10 pages that you think that you like. And what do you think? Do you know what I mean? Or go over the outline again. If I do it every day or five days a week, I get stuff done. Otherwise, without some sort of structure, see, I, then I'm just all over. I, I, also, I also teach a class, and we're not here to talk about that one, but it's a class called Left Brain Planning for Right Brain People. Oh, yes, I saw that somewhere. That's a wonderful, class. It's a wonderful class, and it's, a, it's, two, day, it's two sessions, three-hour class, and one of the things that I teach in that is relentless incrementalism. Got it. That is how things happen. It doesn't seem like much, but it freaking accumulates. You know, I meditate every morning and I've been doing this since I was 22 years old. Do I meditate for 20 minutes twice a day? I do not. Do I meditate twice a day? I do not. I meditate every morning and it's not what anybody else would recognize as meditation, but it is my thing. And you know, maybe it's five, 10 minutes and it sets, it just 
helps me set the odometer back to the right yes. place before I go out and deal with all the world is what, what all the world is tossing at me. And so I do, you know, whatever, you know, we have mentioned three different classes here, left brain planning for right brain people, fearless writing and um, self-compassion 101. And to, to the outsider, they would go crazy. What do those things have to do with each other? You know, nothing to me, they're all very, very linked. Everything is interconnected. Now I took the longest time to come to this. I don't know why. Sometimes Cindy knows from us working together for 20 years, sometimes I'd say to her at the end of the day, you know, for a bright girl, it took me a long time to figure out that equation. <laughs> and, but it is all interconnected. Now I have, it's all, your health, your spiritual health, your faith, the love, the compassion in your life, they're all so interconnected because if one of them it's, is out of whack, if you, I'm sure, I always think the same thing. I did pottery for a number of years. Mm -hmm. You have to get that clay, wet clay centered on your wheel because if you don't, it just flies off. Yes. And yes. it makes a mess, okay? You know, there is a book that I must tell you that okay. if you don't know it, it's called Centering in Pottery, Poetry, and the Person. Oh, I did not know that book. I'm writing it's it down. a wonderful book. M.C. Richards wrote it. Okay. And it was a book I read early and returned to and dip into periodically. And what a beautiful book it is about, about these kinds of mysterious processes. And, you know, to take... To go back to that idea of relentless incrementalism, the uh, writer Annie Dillard, who wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Yes, of course. She wrote a book about writing as well. And she says, how we spend our lives is how we spend our days. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Deeply yes. informs my writing class and writing classes and left brain planning, of course. But that's why relentless incrementalism works. If you do something 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, you know, I have people in my class who, you know, are really beginning writers. And for some reason, they will have decided a thing like a real writer writes for four hours a day. Exactly. And then they have, they're thereby setting up a wall between them and what they believe they want to do. That's right. But, you know, one of the things is it, it's, there's a very simple way that anybody gets good at anything. And um, I will have to explain this verbally strictly because live and in person, I often get down on the floor and wiggle around to show this. So you guys will just have to figure it. So, okay, here's how you get good at anything. Three phases, practice, rehearsal, performance. Now I use practice a little differently than most people do. I don't mean, I mean, a lot of people confuse rehearsal and practice. Mm -hmm. Practice to me in its essence is outcomeless. And okay. here's the point where I drop down to the floor and I say, for instance, when you are an infant and your only way of moving around is to crawl, there is something inherent in you that wants to be vertical and autonomous and self-propelling. Now you don't know that there's walking, 
or running. I mean, you might know it to some extent from observing the larger creatures around you doing it. You just know that you wanna be vertical and you wanna get there yourself. It's inherent in you. You don't know that there are prizes for running, that there's the Olympics, that there's all kinds of things like fit, skating or you know running a three minute mile or you know whatever it is. You don't know all that. There's something inherent in you that wants to be vertical and it has no outcome. And that is what I consider practice. That's the inherent thing with no outer validation involved in it. It's just doing it because it's in you. There's the joy, there's the impetus. And when, when you move from crawling to toddling and you fall over and you know, you'll have to imagine a 68 year old woman crawling on the Ford floor to demonstrate this and then getting up to her knees to demonstrate toddlerhood. <laughs> don't, you know, once you start toddling, you fall over, that's inherent in it. And when you fall over, although you might cry if you hit yourself hard, mostly you don't, mostly you just get up and try toddling again, but you certainly don't lie there after you fall over and you go, I suck. I will never make it as a toddler. It's over. You don't do that shit. You know, sorry. Oops. No, no. You no, don't no. do that crap. Um, and you don't, you don't do it. You just get up and walk again. That is what practice is. Outcomeless is the big word to recommend. Many people never go through their life doing things out that are outcomeless. It's yeah. an amazing thought to some, I mean, I never knew it was, but I've had enough students say, I had one shell-shocked looking guy come out of a class and say, Tressen, I don't think that I've ever done anything outcomeless my whole life. And I said, well, why did you do it? I wanted the good grade. I wanted to get the girl. I wanted to get the high salary. I never did it for, you know, its own inherent thing. So, okay, that is what practice as I define it is. Rehearsal is the steps you do for eventual performance. Rehearsal is when you do have an outcome in mind. And let's say you're in a garage band and you're gonna play it at the, uh, you know, the dance at the Y or something. And so first you, you, know, you start figuring out a set list and you try some things and some things don't work and somebody's written an original song. Yeah, but everybody wants the covers. You work the balance out. Then you start playing them. You decide what to drop, what to keep. Do you want to add this riff? And gradually rehearsal goes from being not that very far from toddler level to being tight and finished and everybody feels pretty good about it. And when you get it to as far as you can, then you hit pretty much the performance level, which is where you're willing to show people and they're not gonna see the work. You know, when you, when you see a transcendent ballet performance, you're not spending the whole time thinking, oh man, how many hours must she have spent at the bar doing that? You know, to have that turnout and to stay in the air that long. You're not thinking about that. Practice was involved, rehearsal was involved, but you don't think about it. You're just lost in performance. And for a writer, performance is your published book yes. or a magazine article or whatever. So when people come to fearless writing, often they have decided that they are going to write a memoir or maybe fiction drawn from autobiography. Now, a memoir is really one of the very hardest things to write. 
We think it will be easy. We know our lives, don't we? You know, we're gonna write it down. We know how to write, should be easy. And what I try to do in Fearless is I try to get people to toddle first, to toddle, to do writing, just, you know, the muse really likes it when you show up. And um, things, and you know, people, it's as if a toddler wanted to run the marathon. You know, you don't expect to run the marathon even as a non-toddler right out of the gate. You start maybe walking every day, then running and walking, then maybe you get a trainer, you find something online about how to train for a marathon and you start training. So I encourage people to put the marathon aside for a little bit and to just explore themselves and writing and to experience the inherent, not outcome laden, uh, thrill and joy of writing something that surprises you. Um, and people really to have fun with it, to not be doing stick more the carrot, um, not be beating themselves up because, you know, because what happens is, is, and this is another source of the fear. The fear has a thousand faces that boil down to about six, seven, eight, nine, ten faces. And at the beginning of a workshop, I always ask people, okay, what would you like to leave this class with? What fear would you like to have less of? If I was a fairy godmother and I could wave a magic wand, where would you be in 12 weeks? And that tells me how they're articulating the universal fears about writing is that while the fears are universal, the iterations are always individual. And, um, it's an amazing thing to see what happens. Um, you know, I teach a lot of, I teach some writing classes that are about craft. I teach some writing classes, like the one that Natalie, who you were mentioning, and Natalie has taken several times is Tuesdays with Crescent, which essentially it's just a small group and we write together and we have fun nice. and we read them out loud. I give, I give a form for practice. I don't really like the word prompt too much, but I give a writing practice form, we do it together. And then those who wish will read the whole thing out loud or a piece of it out loud. It's not a critique group. We're all doing it at the same time. Right. And then the rest will say what stays with them. Now, inherently in that you learn, wow, I'm carrying stories that I didn't know that I had. Because most people that come to a writing class have a story that they are burning to tell, but First of all, there are stories that are burning to be told that we may not even know about. And you only find it through discovering. And secondly, uh, by, by the story that's burning to be told, that very burning can sometimes, you can intimidate yourself right out of it. Yeah. And the example that I always give is there was one woman in a class probably 15 years ago, it was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And when we were doing that thing where we go around and we say, what I'd like to leave with. And she said, she said, well, I know we're supposed to talk about that, but I just have to, I just have to say this. I was abused as a child and you know, I almost didn't make it. Were it not for two women, one was a neighbor and one was an aunt. I think I would probably be dead, let alone working hard. And I want to write 
a book for young adults that honors those two women that saved my life. And I want to do it so that no child who is abused will ever feel as lonely as I felt. And I thought, holy moly, no one <laughs> is having trouble writing a book. You know, no child will ever, you know, honor the two women. This was a person who had not toddled yet. And she was contemplating not just a marathon, but an iron person, you know, I yeah. mean, she was, you know, so, so I get people in essence to fall in love with the process. And as we all know, love is one thing that is larger than fear because when you're in love, you just, you're not obsessing about all the things that could go wrong. Okay. Nobody would get married if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Now that could be love. What did you just say? Love is the only thing that can outlast fear. Is that what I you said? It could outlast. What did what I say? Louder than, bigger than, bigger but than. You, you kind of forget the whole thing. Absolutely. You know? And you know what? That means we should. That needs to be embroidered on a pillow, <laughs> and we sell it with a writer's diary and money. Crescent, I thank you. I can't thank you enough. I hope that people enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm sure they will. Fearless Riding, Crescent Dragon Wagon. You said you have no idea when you listen to this yourself. You're get, it. That was that was a lot of pearls you just dropped. Thank you. A lot of, don't you think, Miss Cindy's shaking her head, yes. I know, <laughs> extraordinary, huh, Cindy? Really extraordinary. All right, now, Women Beyond a Certain Age, we have a Facebook page. Women Beyond a Certain Age, we have a website. Um, oh, Cindy took notes. She is showing me her notes that she took from you. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you for those kind of words, too. Let me say something. Most people don't get Cindy to take notes. <laughs> I don't want to disparage anybody else, but Miss Cindy, as I've always said about Cindy, Cindy is not an easy sell, okay? She doesn't suffer fools gladly, all those expressions. But you had, even around some of the biggest stars in the world, we'd be working at something, and I'd look at Cindy's face, and she'd be thinking like, hmm, is that it? <laughs> Okay, she is not e led down the garden path easily. Thank you, Crescent. You Thank you so, so much for your time. I know how busy you are. And everybody, fearless writing. And we'll have the information. We'll get, go to Crescent's uh, dragonwagon.com is your website. Yes, ma'am. And I want to say, I have just started my class. Um, we're, yes. we're recording this in the fall. And um, I've just started my class and it's sold out and full and tight and you can't come to it, but I'm going to start, I'm going to do another one. If, if this, if this is a little, you know, if hearing this is in some way, like a little stone in your shoe that you want to take your shoe off and knock out, if it's calling you, um, I'm starting a waiting list for the spring edition, and that will give you plenty of time to think about it. I'll get them to the waiting list page. I'm not remembering it offhand what the URL is, but I will get it to you so people can sign up if they want a place reserved for them because it does sell out pretty fast. Of course it's small. Yes, of course. 
And of course I wanted to really work for people because I, you know, I just today it's, I don't mean it to be show offy, but somebody no. said on, online on Facebook, you know, today, President, you know, your superpower is not showing other people your superpower, but showing them theirs. And what a fabulous compliment. But Absolutely. It's also my high. I love seeing people get it. I love seeing their writing blossom and develop and their understanding. I just love it. You know, next to my own, doing my own writing, you know, it's really, really fun to see people. A great sense of satisfaction when you're successfully teaching other people and helping them. I totally agree. All right. Thank you. If people want to reach out to us, it's womenbeyond at icloud.com. Again, Crescent Dragon Wagon, her books, most, almost all your books are on amazon.com, aren't they, Crescent? Oh, I feel like everybody else. I've been doing this so long. A lot of them are out of print. Those ones, alas, you can probably find used, but then <laughs> I don't make a penny off of it. So I prefer they buy it new, but since <laughs> I'm out of print. So I'm happy to have you buy the out of print ones used and have fun with them too. Absolutely. It's still a book. It's still a book. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for always keeping the train on the tracks. And let me tell you something. I don't say that. That's not just a throwaway line. I know that this train sometimes is a total mess, okay, and headed for the brick wall. So to stay on the track is no small feat. Thank you, Crescent. Thank you, Cindy. My pleasure Bye. being with both of you two wonderful ladies. Bye.